Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. My gosh, keep standing, keep standing. I am definitely not going to say one word to him about children. Actually, he is not Pastor Chris. It's Kelly's fault. She believes anything that I tell her. And so I think it was actually about four years ago, you guys will remember this. First of all, uh, this family I love. And Becky makes me cry. The first time we came to Capital Christian Center, they were in a small church in downtown Boise. We go to Lake McCall. And it was 1990. My oldest son had just turned one. In this summer, June 1st, he'll be 33. So that's how many years ago that was. So when we had come several years ago, uh, we had known uh, the children that Kristen Kelly had adopted. And it was Sunday night. Come back tonight. I, uh, we're going to move in the spirit. And if you need a miracle, God will grant you a miracle tonight in Jesus' name. And I mean that. Got three hand claps on that one. Overwhelming. Overwhelming. And so I didn't want to say it in front of everyone because that could become, you know, a new, just a nuisance, you know. So we just wish that you'll have twins in a year. So a year later, they had us come back and minister. And it's on a Sunday night. If you need a miracle, I don't know why. Sunday night's it. And so they came to go, you're going to have another set of twins. And Chris just kind of looked at me like I was Satan manifested, which I didn't appreciate, really. But I've been healed during COVID. Amen. And so, uh, kid you not, Kelly believed. Now listen to me, all things are possible, but not to everyone. Because Mark 9, around the 27th verse, remember that Jesus came down from the mountain of transfiguration, that a man whose son who suffered an illness since childhood, he said, Lord, can you do anything? Jesus said, can you believe? He said, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus said, all things are possible to them who believe. Well, I'm still, the verdict's out if I'm going to believe for Boise State. I don't know. I probably will. No, come on. And so, but if you need a miracle, come tonight. So they had another set of twins. So when I got on the plane yesterday, I thought, I will not mention children. I am only going to mention, uh, I think they need a mini bus to get all these kids to church. We are going to resurrect bus ministry for Kristen Kelly. Amen. It's, okay, my wife. My wife thinks she is uh, Holy Spirit Junior. She's telling me what to say. Honey, do you want to preach? No, come on up. No. Uh, they need, how many of you think they should have a house and not be homeless, huh? Can you put a finger in the air? Come on, because you do care, God. Okay, I have a scripture for you. It's the, come on, what is that all about? I start talking, uh, first chance you get, I put my finger down. Okay, I got a scripture for you. Have a scripture. It is uh, Acts 17, 26, the NIV around 1987 edition. Don't look at me that way because you only read old King James. I'm not for LeBron. I'm from new King James. Amen. That's stupid. Why did I say that? Get your fingers up. Come on. This is what it says. NIV 1987, around that edition, it says God determines, get this, the exact places for men to live. There's an exact place. And I called that in. God, you said the Levites would have homes that they did not build. And God, that they would raise their children in that home. Their home is a place of righteousness, peace, and joy, and laughter. And you got to know it. Pastor Ken, he really kept driving that song to your children, your children, their children, their children, their children. The CD got stuck right there. Come on. Give it up for the wilds, will you? Amen. You may be seated. Hey, wait, wait, Garrison and Tracy, can you turn around and uh, face the congregation, please? 
Look at this, the prettiest wild, Tracy. No, come on, she's not a wild anymore. Can you give them a hand clap? Amen. Love you guys. Hey, I do, I want to agree. We're, we're going to get right to the word, but I do want to say this. Hey, Pastor Ken, uh, first of all, for over 30 years, uh, you and Connie have been Becky and I's uh, hero. And only heaven will reveal with this church and the price you paid, along with Pastor Ken and Connie Weil, going for two, oh, at least two decades to Washington, D.C., the federal city, the National Prayer Center. How many of you know that's needed now more than ever? Amen. And, and so we do believe that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the Gospel of John. What we say in our church in California, City Church, California, that we bring a friend and we bring a Bible. You get that? We always bring a friend and we bring a Bible. I didn't go to prom alone. I don't go to the movies alone. I don't go to church alone. Uh, Chris and Kelly will never go to church alone ever again. You know, and, and so uh, everyone brings a friend and we bring a Bible. Let me tell you one of my favorite sounds. You don't really hear it anymore. If you have your Bible on your smartphone, I want you to go to your version. And But a sound that I miss, the reason why I'm bringing back my Bible, not just my Bible on my smartphone, I miss the sound of Bible pages turning. And the church is more than a TED talk. It's more than a concert. This isn't like, oh, the music's kind of good. We are actually are Christians and we're here to encounter Jesus Christ. And Becky and I and the boys uh, back in the day went skiing, snowboarding at Sun Valley. And I love hearing the snow underneath your skis when it's fresh. But a sound I really miss is when we used to actually bring Bibles to church and you would hear people turning in their Bibles. And I promise you, if you begin to not only read this Bible, but let it read you, you will have a supernatural life. You will not only be successful, you will become fruitful. And today we're going to do something that I very rarely do. Usually when we go and minister, I am going to minister on something I have preached before. But uh, the last few days, I have not been able to shake the gospel of John. And I have a message for you. And the church is not changing like a shifting of plates it's already changed people say over the last two years will the church ever be the same what is the new normal and I'm announcing to us today the church is already shifted in three words that I want you to write down is this it's going to be worship a witness and the word did you get that we we are here to worship. We are here to witness because worship without witness is hypocrisy. There's no such thing as how I'm a worshiper, but without a witness. So there's worship, there's witness, and then there's word. Let me give it to you in P words. And there is praise. And this house has always been known for worship and praise, but there is a fresh Pentecost. And you're going to hear me say this in a moment. I want to speak directly to your pastor. Chris, even in this last year or two, there are times that you have thought, uh, God, maybe this season is over for me, where the enemy tried to almost come and paralyze and neutralize your thoughts in your brain. Can I tell you now, you have been born for the season that the church in this nation is now in, because we, yeah, you can clap, you're feeling that, that's okay. Because we're not only going to have praise and Pentecost, we're going to experience precept. And during COVID, there's a scripture in Isaiah 54. It says, great will be the peace of your children because your children are well taught of the Lord. And the spirit of God impressed on my mind. He said, people are not making wise decisions because they have not been well taught. We have been preached at. We have seen good sermons, but it's not now time precept upon precept. Your teaching 
is going to go throughout Idaho, California, Oregon, and I now declare and I mark the state of Washington down to Portland, down to Boise. I say Seattle, Portland, Boise, a triangle of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and praise and teaching in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? And we really believe that. So if you, some people are like really title freaks, so I'm going to give you a title since that's how you roll, and it is The Proposal, and we're going to get to that, but now we're going to start reading our Bible. So get your Bibles, John chapter 4, and then let's see, we're going to start with verse 3. Now I've got to warn you, it's going to be more than two verses I read, so some of you need to sit up, click your seatbelt. And tell your ears to listen. And we're going to begin to read in verse 3 all the way, all the way, all the way. Wait, did I get tired right there? No, I've been talking to these kids, you know. Hey, how you doing? And now I'm coming out baby talk. Dear Lord, help me. Here we go. Verse 3, verse 3. Verse 3. Well, I'm in John chapter 5. That's why I hate this electronic iPhone Bible, you freak. I only want John 4. Okay, your mother, here we go. All right, here we go. Can you tell I'm in my 60s? I mean, I ventured out. I now have an iPhone without a button. Aggravating, that's all I can say. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Back, back on point, okay. He left Judea and he departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. You should really pay attention. Mark the word needed to go through Samaria. He came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, so that's noontime. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. I want you to say that with me. Give me a drink a little bit louder now. Give. Now, usually when I've read this throughout the years, I thought, well, shoot, he's thirsty. Give him a LaCroix, somebody. And, and so, but it's a little bit more than, you know, a dusty. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, please get this part. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, underline that, we'll come back to this phrase, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. Are you with me? I'm with you. It's just my finger just touched and it just went crazy. And that's why, okay, here we go. Give me a drink for his disciples had gone to the city to buy food. Verse nine, then the woman of Samaria saying, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have, have given you living water. The woman and said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater? Please get this. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his son and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. You're going to pay attention 
attention to that. We're going to come back to that thought. He said, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. Never think Jesus. I mean, he just threw her out under the rug. Are you with me there, my God? The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place one ought to worship. Please get this. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father. You worship, please get this, you worship what you do not know, but we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is, are you with me? Verse 23, when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Come on, follow me. Stay with me. Sit up. I know. Give me one more verse. Come on. Right there. I'm going to be your personal trainer. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, the disciples came and she left her pots and she went and told the whole city about what the guy told her at the well. Today, we're going to talk about the proposal. Uh, you know, with millennials and younger people, the way they propose is pretty amazing. Uh, like some people follow the office plan to propose. They light candles and then the, the fire alarm comes on and it is watering and she's crying. He thinks she's happy. She's not because her makeup is running. Okay. I wish I'd have had someone talk me through the way I proposed. Uh, I'm a thug. Uh, and so what did happen? My mom was in the hospital. This is years ago, 1986. And my wife, well, she wasn't my wife then, my friend who I had met in church, I was actually worshiping people. I just want you to know that. Now, I want you to write this down. God is not seeking worship. God is seeking worshipers. Are you with me? God's not seeking worship. He's seeking worshipers. And so I have my worship on and all of a sudden, I, did, I mean, have you ever, the first time you lift your hands, it looks like you're carrying the plasma TV. I mean, that was a real big thing for me. And I thought, my eyes were shining. I thought, who is checking me out? And then I looked and there she was right there from head to toe. And I thought, girl, you just interrupted my worship. What's your name? All right. You know. So Becky calls me, true story, and she says, how's your mom? And I go, oh, she's good. Will you marry me? True story. And she said, yes. So I thought, you better buy a ring now and put it on her finger. You know, and so we did that. And I didn't realize I always wanted to actually bow my knee when I proposed. So seven years into our marriage, because she would always tell her friends that I never bowed my knee and it was over the phone and I didn't call her really a lot of persecution. And, and so... <laughs> And that uh, she called me and you know how it is when you get married and you have a disagreement because we do not fight, but we do disagree. And, and it starts on Monday. We make up on Friday, but it's glorious. Amen. <laughs> and so it's like when you start disagreeing, it always goes back and you never bowed your knee when you propose. It's like, ah, oh, now you tell me. And so... In seven years, I kid you not, Christmas morning, I went and I tapped her on the shoulder. I had a, a new ring. It's small diamonds, seven diamonds. You couldn't even see with the natural human eye that there were diamonds. <laughs> but she was happy. It was the thought that counted on that one. And so we did that. Then when we were married 20 years, we now have been married 35 years. I kid you not, uh, I would take her out. We're staying at this beautiful hotel in Seattle. We're going to be eating at the Four Seasons. I had bought her a new uh, ring. And so uh, what I did say, hey, babe, I forgot something in the car. So she's in the hotel room getting ready. We're going out to eat. True story. We're talking about the proposal. We're getting back to John. Don't think I've forgotten about that. And so kid you not, I call her from the lobby phone and go, hey, babe, uh, my mom's doing good. And I'm so glad you called and you could tell, okay, my husband has lost his mind. He's crazy. 
and I could touch him one and go, wait, wait, wait. I don't want to do it this way. So I went to our hotel room upstairs, knocked, and I'm kneeling, and she's looking to see <laughs> who's out there. Is it an enemy or Bilbo Baggins? I don't know. <laughs> I kid you not. I am I'm about as short as Bilbo on one knee. You know, I am kneeling. She opens the door and I go, will you please marry me? Will you be mine? And she started crying and it was fun before the dinner, you know, and... And so can I say, I proposed the way I wanted. And so we're going to get back to that. I want to begin to talk to you about the gospel of John. Absolutely could be the greatest gospel ever penned by a human being. In your Bible, you may not know this. I remember one person, they had just accepted Christ and they came and they said, why are there four gospels that tell the same story? I said, actually, it's a different perspective by each author. Now, Augustine said this, that John is the greatest gospel because it's shallow enough where all of Kristen Kelly's seven kids could actually wade in it and not be overwhelmed. But it's deep enough that an elephant could swim in it. And, and so there is no book like John. And so there are four Gospels. You may know this. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, what's amazing about the Gospel of John, and I want to begin to give you some history about it. He, he reminds me of me. And that's why I love him so so much. I mean, John speaks in the third person. He is the only person I know that speaks concerning himself in the third person, except for myself. Like, for example, I have a tendency, just like this biblical author, to write myself notes. Good morning, Pastor Jude. <laughs> Do not forget to put your contacts in, Pastor Jude. God bless. P.S. Love you, Pastor Jude. Pastor Jude. John does this throughout this whole narrative. In fact, the way he pens, he goes, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And now many people say, well, yeah, the reason why Jesus loved him, you may not know this, but Jesus' mother, the Virgin Mary, had a sister whose name's Salome. And Salome was married to a businessman, Zebedee, who had two boats. Can I say right now, I don't know who this is for, but someone during COVID, your business has really been broken. But God, like Zebedee, he is going to send people to you like James and John, and they're going to wash and mend the nets of your business, and you're going to begin to prosper in Jesus' name. Well, that was for free, all right? The next one you're paying for. All right, here we go. And so you got to get this. So they were first cousins. And so they were raised together. In fact, Salome supported Christ's ministry financially. Now, let me tell you another thing that's really crazy about this book, John. He's so crazy good that John, they say, was discipled by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, his parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth, was they had him in old age. And many believe that they died when he was young. And they had these desert fathers who lived in the desert and their total book in the Bible was like my pastor, Wendell Isaiah. I mean, Wendell could start preaching on Leviticus, he'd end up in like Isaiah. He'd preach on Philippians, he'd end up in Isaiah. He'd preach in Revelation, he'd end up in Isaiah. And these ancient fathers loved Isaiah because in Isaiah it spoke of light in darkness, up and down, heaven and earth, true Israel and false Israel. And that's why in John, even in the beginning, it says light has come into the world, but darkness did not want the light. And he was discipled and trained by these Asian fathers. Okay, now get this. Now, chapter one has got to be an incredible chapter in your Bible. One of my favorite verses, I hope you can say it with me. I hope you can say it with me. Come on, get ready, get ready, get ready. That's kind of a T.D. Jakes imitation if you didn't realize that, all right? 
in the beginning, if you could say it, in the beginning, if you know it, you could do it. I don't know why I just did this, but in the beginning was the word. Okay, you know how people from Texas do it? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Did you get that? So let's say it together. In the beginning was the and the word was, and the word, now get this, in the Greek, there are many words for word. One is rhema, spoken word. Another one, just like the word word in the Greek, it's not logos. There it is, in the beginning was the logos. And many people think that just means word. There's a Greek word that means word, and that's graffiti, where we get our English word. This word, logos, means logic. Now hear me when I tell us. The last two and a half years is as if our nation, the world, what is happening in Europe has forgotten to take her medicine. And there is no logic anymore. When they say in the beginning was logos, that is logic. Our God is omni-logic. And you know what he is saying? In the beginning was logic. The logic was God. The logic is God. The logic became a human being. And God impressed upon my heart during the last two years, if I can hold this universe together by the logic of my power, I can hold this church together. I can hold you together. I can hold your family together. Come on. Can you say amen? And so now get this in John chapter two, it's his first sign and it's at the, the uh, wedding in Cana of Galilee. Now listen, remember in John four, it says woman, he calls her woman. I would love I would love to call my wife woman in front of a but woman, get me a meal. You know, she'd go, man, kiss my foot. No, come on. <laughs> because she's born again. I'm not. No, come on. Now get this. It's at one wedding in Canaan of Galilee. Now, if you don't know this, his mom comes and says, hey, they're out of wine. And he says, woman. Now listen, he was not being, you need to hear me, he was not being disrespectful when he said woman and he called her out. Now you gotta know, he's the oldest of a Jewish woman's son who's helping run the family business. She depended on him. When he said woman, what does this have to do? My hour hasn't come. You know what he was saying? Not saying I'm not your son. I'm not a good Jewish son. You know what he's saying? All of a sudden there is a shift in the plates of faith faith and temple and approach. And he is saying, no longer really are you going to be able to look at me just as the firstborn, your Jewish son who you're proud of. But now you're going to begin to see I'm also God and I am Savior and I am Lord and I am King. I am the Messiah. Okay, now we're getting to four. We're getting to four. Chapter three is a conversation. It's a guy, Nick at night. And that's where we got Nickelodeon. Dumb. Okay, so get this. It's at night. It's privately. He is the teacher of Israel, not a teacher. The teacher. He would be like a Rick Warren. He'd be like a Billy Graham. And he comes in. I love this. Chris, you're entering into a new season. This is going to be a season of the miraculous. And you know what they'll say of capital? Anyone in here, you need a miracle come tonight, but you hear what I'm getting ready to tell you. Nicodemus in the old King James says it this way. He said, rabbi, which means teacher. He said, we hear you are a teacher, a rabbi from God for no one can do these miracles except God be with him. I have a declaration because God is with us. Then we will see miracles happen in our lives. Come on. Can you say amen? And so it's a private discourse. It's a commentary on the signs that Jesus would do. Then all of a sudden chapter four and it flipped. This one, is at, it's during the day. It's not at night. It's with a woman, not a man. It's a Samaritan woman who's outcast. He is a teacher of Israel, but Jesus looks like an outcast Messiah. And he begins to talk to her. And he starts off and he says, if you would give me a drink. Now, I want you to begin to think about that. Now, for me, when I'm thirsty, hey, babe, 
Can you give me a LaCroix, please? Thank you very much, you know? And I thought it was about being thirsty in water, but it's not. Now, you need to really get this. In the Jewish ancient custom, most engagements were made at a well. Not on a phone, not with candles, and not rose petal paths, all right? So, oh, why is there a rose petal path here in Boise? I don't know. Well, I think he's, this is it, you know? And they, but you know they know. Because all their friends are helping him figure it out. And we know at least two of the friends told her everything, but women could fake real. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't guess you did. You knew. Okay, now get this. True story. With all the patriarchs, let's get this one. Isaac. Remember Genesis 24? Uh, the unnamed servant, Abraham, comes and says, hey, make an oath with me. It's like shaking hands, put your hand on the Bible or the Torah, and tell the truth, so help you, Lord. And he says this, he says, do not take, hear me, do not take from my son, Isaac, a bride from the women of the land of Canaan, the Canaanite women. And now, not that God was against the Canaanite women, but God will, please hear me, God will not use culture of the world to shape his bride for his son. And so he said, you're going to go back to my father's house. I'm going somewhere with this. You're going to change. Hear me. He said, go back and get a bride for my son, Isaac. So the unnamed servant with 10 camels comes to a well. And can I say right now, I'm just wondering if Pastor Ken's prayer for Boise State happened because he was worshiping. Prayers that ascend during a time of worship usually get answered where prayers that ascend with self occupation usually don't get answered. And so he's at a well and he said, Lord, whoever comes when the women come, the one who offers me a drink and offers to water my camels, that will be the bride for my master Isaac. And immediately he hadn't even finished praying. Then that prayer is answered. You see, when you ask for a drink or can I give you a drink, it was a proposal. And that's why immediately Rebecca ran and she watered him. I mean, gave him a drink, watered the camels, and then she brings him to meet the family. He stays with the family and then it's an engagement. It happened too, not only with Isaac. How about Jacob? Jacob it has a fight with Esau and Jacob flees to go to the land of his father and he comes to a well and he sees his gal, Rachel. My goodness, kind of like Becky checking me out doing worship. And she's coming. She's a shepherdess. Kelly, the world needs female pastors that will come and water the people of God. Come on and remind them we are chosen by God. So she comes and he again, again, can I have a drink? He begins to water. It happened with Moses. Moses leaves Pharaoh. Can I say right now, the world is trying to interrupt the plans of our God, but they cannot. And I just want to stand in on the record, say, I am Ukrainian. Not really, but in the heart. I, and they went, I thought you were from Louisiana. What's the deal? You know why? Because I want that nation saved and I want that nation protected. Come on. Moses goes into the wilderness and there is a shepherdess named Zipporah, the daughter of a Midianite priest. And he asked for a drink. It's a proposal. Can I tell you right now? What did Jesus say? Why did Jesus say, I have need to go through Samaria? Because Jesus isn't just getting a bride from one group of people, but by every nation, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, he had to go to Samaria because he's going to pick and choose a Samaritan, pagan, Gentile bride, and that is our God. Can I tell you right now, worship does not happen when you think you're better than the one you married. There's nothing better than you see a man that he has to pinch himself 50 times a day because I can't believe Believe. I got this beauty. Can I tell you right now, Jesus Christ chose his bride at the well of Samaria, showing the world that I will have a bride that will conquer all the nations and bring you into the kingdom of God. Amen. 
Now, let's do this. Can I, can I just show you this, all right? In the nation of Israel, they had 12 tribes. And you had King David, King Solomon, then Rehoboam. Rehoboam divided the kingdom, much like America is divided today. So many times when we would go to Washington with Ken and Connie, we gladly, proudly prayed in the rotunda in the federal city, and we could call it the United States of America. Today, it seems like it's the divided states of America. And so you had two tribes that went to the south, that was Judah, and then you had 10 tribes that went to the north, that was Israel. And Samaria, now get this, the, uh, the nation of Judah only had one dynasty, and guess what it was? The dynasty of David, who Jesus would come through. Samaria had over eight to 10 different dynasties, and one of them was Samaria. Now get this, in the Old Testament, they had two mountains, and one mountain was Gerizim, which is blessing. Another mountain is Ebal, which is curse. And so what they would do, because a lot of people didn't read, you would have six of the tribes, half the nation stand on the mountain representing curse. The other half would stand on the mountain representing blessing. Now, you'll never guess the mountain that they quoted blessing. If you obey, you're going to be blessed in the city. Oh, my goodness. My pastor used to quote Deuteronomy 28 all the time. On the mountain of blessing. Pastor Wynn would go, I'll be blessed in the city. I'll be blessed in the country. I'll be blessed when I sit. I'll be blessed when I stand. I'll be blessed when I go in. I'll be blessed. Come on. Almost like that song. Coming and you're going all around you and in you on your children and your children. I mean, come on. That's blessing. Now, on that mountain, it had a lot of vegetation. But on the other mountain, it had no vegetation. Now, you'll never guess. Now, if I was God, I would not give the best mountain, get this, the mountain of blessing to the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a mixed race. And they, Jewish people, they were racist against the Samaritans. They would not even go into Samaria. They had a road that went around Samaria. They can't even believe that he would go into Samaria. Now, Remember when she gets to this, she says, Lord, on this mountain or that mountain. Did you get that? They had two mountains. Gerizim was the mountain of blessing. That's where the Samaritans had a temple. The Jews went and destroyed that temple. However, on the Mount of Curse, no vegetation, guess who was crucified on that mountain? Jesus Christ, who became a curse, that we would not be cursed, that all people could be blessed. Are you with me? And, and, and so I love this. He was proposing to her, and she starts freaking out. And that's why you, he said, hey, can I have a drink? And she goes, why are you talking to me? I'm Samaritan. You're Jewish. You shouldn't be doing this. You can't propose to me. You can't be unequally yoked. No, not going on disharmony.com today, Messiah. You better go to synagogue, get your girl. And so I kid you not, get this, get this. He says this, go get your husband. She goes, I have no husband. Back up, I have no man. He goes, you've spoken rightly. Get this, you have had five husbands. Now, let me just tell you, I love John. John is a freak for Jesus. Now, you got to get this. John, before he wrote the gospel of John, wrote the book of Revelation. So many people thought his insight, when he said the disciple whom Jesus loved, this was, it's his first cousin. I have 66 first cousins on my mom's side alone. My wife is my fifth cousin. My kids are good looking. They're dumb at math, but we're from Louisiana, people. Sorry. Now, okay, follow me on this one. Oh, dear God. You guys laugh too much. Okay, I need to go. My wife's track. We're, we're ending this. I need to stay on track. Get this. Get this. John is a freak for numbers. He loves the number seven. So do I. Born on March 7th. By the way, that number means perfection. So watch. Everything's got a number. Seven I am's in John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, Lord. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. Come on. I am the good shepherd. 
oh, you think we're going to let culture define who our God is? No. We are not called just to worship. We are being created as worshipers. And so what was he saying? Go get your husband. I don't have a man. I don't have no husband. He said, yeah, you've spoken rightly. You've had five. The one you're with now, five plus one is Smart people. <laughs> and he's not even your husband. But guess what Jesus was saying? I'm number seven. I am your perfect dude. I'm your perfect man. Enneagram, I'm all of it. I'm a one and an eight. I'm a two and a three. I'm a four and a five. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. Girl, none of them can compare to me. Come on. Can you say amen? amen. And then I love this. Please get this. He says the alpha. Well, wait a minute. You Jews worship on your mountain. We Samaritans, we worship on ours. Jesus said, the Jews know who we worship. You guys don't know what you worship. And I believe where the church has been in the last five years, we've tried to make church just about the worship, let's say it this way, music and the communication. And that that's really if we could just preach a little bit better, the world would come. Can I want you to begin to think about this? Jesus said, you don't know what you're worshiping. And today, Samaria represents not only idolatry, but intoxication. And I think too many ministries, we'd be intoxicated by our own anointing. That we have become inebriated on how good we are. That we're trying to compete literally with a TED talk and a motivational speech. And we just could have like a concert going on. Can we give an iPad away? And all of a sudden we have mixed, which is called worship, into something that is confusing. Oh, don't look at me so nice today. Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> oh, I get mad at worship sometimes. I'm 62 years old. I'll go in, and it's too loud. I start gritting my teeth. This is too loud. Must be getting older. <laughs> I tell you what, one time I went in church, it was too loud. They weren't singing my favorite song. I want an oldie. We're going to bring Kim's back into this church. That's when the Lord will return. <laughs> then it was my absolute least favorite worship leader up there. I'm not lifting my hand. Uh-uh, not today. Kid you not, I was speaking at a large conference, and they had a content creator. Oh, my God, he was good. This guy can preach. He is probably about the best preacher you've ever heard in your life. I kid you not. We got back to the green room. Everyone was standing the whole time. He was better than a comedian. Oh my, in the way he dressed, it would take me five years to have the money to buy those clothes. And everything was like perfect. And we get in the green room and he says this. I was born. Yeah, right. That's how I felt. I was born to preach. Said I was born to preach. It bothered me. And I said, no, you weren't. I said, what are you going to do when you step into eternity? And in the beginning was the sermon. 
and the sermon was with God and the sermon was God and the sermon became a human being. I'm just wondering how your little extra lick on the bass and your extra lick on the electric guitar and your amazing voice and your sermon that everybody wants to hear again. How is that going to compare to Jesus Christ, the living word who comes out of the bosom of the Father, preaching the pain out of heaven? Come on. Are you with me on that? I said, no, you weren't born to preach. You were born to worship. And you know when you'll worship is when God, as your groom, chooses you and you know you didn't deserve such a choice. Oh, no. Jesus didn't go on Believe.com to find me. Jesus didn't go on Harmony.com to find me. Jesus found me in the most broken state, and he chose me. Come on. We will become worshipers when we realize he chose us. He knows me to the bottom. He knows me at my worst. He knows me in my darkness. And he doesn't speak darkness to my darkness. He speaks light to my darkness. Oh, John, I love you. Light came into the world, but men refused to come to the light because the deeds they did in secret, they wanted to keep doing. God knows everything about me, and he has it bad for me. He met me at a well in Samaria, and I was intoxicated with my own sin, and all of a sudden I sobered up because I met the one who wanted to be with me forever. Come on. Woo! My goodness, people, can you say amen? Now, when you say this, say, the hour is coming. Ooh, you guys are smarter than the nine. I'm not joking. Joking, come on. Say, the hour is coming, and now is. Say it again. The hour. This is a realized eschatology. Now, eschatology simply means the study of the end. Now, when he says... The hour is coming and now is. Realize that eschatology means the end has already started. That was 222 years ago. <laughs> We're in. I always heard this for 40 something years. It'd be a day. Ken preached this. Wendell preached this. I tried to preach it. There'll be a day. There'll be a generation that will be the last generation that lives on this planet. And they will usher in the great kingdom of God. And after two years of a global pandemic, then seeing unsettled and unrest on the European continent, beginning to see what's happening in the Ukraine, where these are not just, many of them are Christians. They're worshiping. They're in bunkers and basements and they're worshiping. And all of a sudden we've been so intoxicated. We think that good revival is a mixture between a Samaritan or religion and culture and a little bit of music, but not really knowing. No, no, no. Worship is incredibly personal. It's amazingly intimate. We don't worship energy. We do not worship biorhythms. We do not worship statues. We worship a God who loves us, who chose us, who said, I have a need to go there. Come on. Already now is. It's already happening. Are you with me? And you can tell, listen, did I tell you that he wrote the book of Revelation before John? You see, all the others, the other 11, they were 10, were martyred, not John. Remember the end of his book? Peter goes, what about him? He says, what is that to you? Can I say stop being a nosy person and thinking about another believer? I just want to know what Jesus has for me and I want to fulfill it. Come on. Kid you not. Jesus says, if I want him to remain till I come, what is that to you? 
But John was the one that wasn't martyred. He was on the Isle of Patmos. You know what they say of his story? And this is where we end. Band, come up. How many of you give me another minute? How many? Another minute. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. I got an hour. Okay, let's go. That's a window trick. Come on. Here it goes. Here it goes. Watch. Watch. Unbelievable. Get this. I feel the presence of Jesus Christ just came in this room in a sovereign, supernatural way. They got John. The Colosseum was filled in Ephesus. I've been to Ephesus Colosseum. And that's where Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians, I fought the beast in Ephesus. Becky and I were there in the street called Agora, which means marketplace. In the days ahead, Chris, this place will not only be known as worship and praise, Pentecost and witness, but also a precept and word God is going to bring where I'm, I'm telling you, the world's coming to Boise. California is already moving. So is Washington and Oregon. And we are not going to come and let them change us from something that looks like worship, but it's not personal. And we're not experiencing the Messiah at a well. And by the way, she had a well in Sychar that she could have went to. Sixth hour, noon, you don't go. You need water in the morning to cook, to bathe, to, to laundry. And you would go early in the morning to escape the heat of the Middle Eastern sun. The Jacob's well that he gave to Joseph was a mile away. So she had to walk two miles. She was scorned. She was shamed. But yet Jesus chose her. And that's who he chose. Her, I have need. And he said, you don't know what you're worshiping. We know. Now, I, I want you as we end, please hear me with this. I really believe as the world's coming from Amazon to Facebook to Boise, they're not going to change who we are. We're not going to have a mixture of a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of self, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and we get more confused and we don't know the Lord. Can I tell you right now in the Ukraine, I know people personally, Alona, with her mom and dad in a bunker, as people are being murdered and executed right before them, they are worshiping God. There is no confusion. I say now we are not a confused people. God is looking for worshipers. Come on. And so this is where we're ending. This is where we're ending. True story. I'm ending. Trying to at least. Okay. God is seeking worshipers. You know what that woman did? She went and told the whole town, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, if you had five husbands and you're living with someone else's husband, you did a lot. And it says all the men of the city, not the women, it really cracks me up. All the men of the city came and they said, we believe because we heard your words, that's witness. Don't come to church alone. Bring a friend, bring a Bible. But now we believe because we've heard him for ourselves. I believe this church, it always has been, but I didn't say this the first service. I sense that there's going to be a multiplication of men in this church. We will have a men's ministry that is second to none in the entire nation. Chris, they say if a woman accepts Christ, maybe five to 10% of her family comes. If a young person accepts Christ, maybe 15 to 20%. If a man gets radically saved and he is transformed, 79 to 80% of his family will come. I declare a strong men's ministry. Garrison, God chose you. God called you. God anointed you. Men are going to get radically transformed and saved. Shame is going to break off their life. Secret addiction is going to break off their life. Transformation is going to happen. They're no longer going to live afraid. They're going to be promise keepers, promise makers, promise men. Come on.
In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Keep standing. Listen. Let's stand. I just went to my high school 44th reunion. I know. All the way through K through 12th grade, Holy Cross Elementary, Central Catholic Middle School, Central Catholic High School. You guys, I was the shortest guy in my class. I walked into my reunion. I didn't recognize half of them. They all recognized me. But they looked, they go, my goodness, we don't remember you being that tall or that in shape. And I said, because I started adolescence my senior year and did not finish until my junior year of college. Thug, no. (laughs) You know what they asked me? I swear to goodness, it hits me. You will never, let me rephrase that. That's condescending. We will never fully worship what we don't know. And how can I know him if he doesn't fully know me? So this was their top question. I'm ending. They came in. It was almost awkward for him to ask. How did you get a call? How did you? This is how they asked it. How did you get a call? You know what? I said, I know exactly. I can't believe. Why would he call me? I was suspended three, four times from eighth to ninth grade. You don't want to know why. Our Catholic school was run by Jesuit priests in the holy order of nuns. They were Marian sisters, but I call them the holy order of violence and terror. And if you want to win in Ukraine, send a nun with a ruler and a piece of chalk. It's done. (laughs) It's over. Bam. No fly zone, but go to the office. You you know, no fly zone. They asked me. I agreed with them. How did he call you? He says, I don't know, but he should have never. But all I know, like a woman at a well, I would say what David said. You know me. You know when I sit. And you know when I stand. And I know you think I'm always a man of God and I so want to be. But I could praise one moment and you take my car spot at the mall, a curse is going to come. But I have to tell you, David said, Lord, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Where can I go from your presence? I was hiding out from my past and my mistakes and my shame. And you made a way to me. And you said you had a need to come to me. And you choose me. No, I didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose me. I was the most unlikely. Our biorhythms were totally off. We, we could not communicate, but he chose me. And I have been a worshiper since. Worship is going to flood the church of the United States of America. And in our worship, people will be healed. I have a declaration. I just felt this strongly. God is going to begin to heal mental illness. God is going to come where people are suffering mental health issues. He is the creator of the brain. He is the creator of the human personality. He is going to begin to make that which is impossible, very possible. Come on. You guys don't believe me. I may come back next year. I don't know. I don't know. I may turn them down and speak at the next year's women conference. Why not? Okay, Becky can do it. And Jesus had a women's ministry. 
and they were all broken. The Syrophoenician woman, healings for the children. That's their bread. Yes, Lord, but even a dog will eat a crumb. How about the woman caught in the very act? Moses says the law of the Torah. By the way, when he said, if you knew the gift of God, that's what Jewish people in Samaritan said, if you knew the Torah. If you really knew the Torah, then you would know worship and you would know God. How about the woman caught in the very act? The law says to kill. He said, woman, where are your accusers? And Jesus got down in the dirt. I don't know who you are today, but you have a lot of dirt in your past. And God is not accusing you with the dirt of your past. God has just bowed his knee in a proposal and he's writing in your dirt. And he's not writing your sin. He's writing his word in your dirt. And even though your soul is clinging to the dirt, he's going to revive you by his word. Mary Magdalene, that girl was jacked up, all right? So I'm just telling you, I don't care who you are, he just asked for your hand and it's forever and he's got you and that's how you become a worshiper. Amen? Can you give the Lord a shout and a hand clap? has changed. I love my nation so much. I love this nation so much. And we cannot be confused. I'm going to shut my eyes. We cannot be confused in the days ahead. Having people come in that have almost expert insight in what they think the church should be, yet they're not worshipers. And they're now trying to define who we are as a people. And we are more than music. We're more than talking. We're more than serving. We're more than this. We're more than that. We are worshipers of the living God. Come on. That's who the Father's seeking. And in this time of worship, there is now a fresh Pentecost. Lift up your hands. It's hitting this church right now. I usher us into a fresh Pentecost. God is healing. He's restoring. Bodies are being healed. Mental health issues are being healed. Lives are being restored. Things of your past are being broken now in the name of Jesus Christ and what is impossible with people is very, very possible with God. We are worshipers. I want to do this as we end. Our church in the last two years, Capitals always had great worship. The worship in our church for the longest time, honestly, Jesus didn't even like it. It's like, I'm out of here. Let's go, Holy Ghost. You want tacos today? Okay. Five years ago, a couple moved to Ventura. And during the last two years, the worship in our church has ascended. They just wrote their 10th worship song. And you know when it happened? In an empty room. I had a problem with my preaching. And one of my problems was, or challenges, is that I was a youth pastor so long. I was constantly trying to be too funny. And I probably did that a little bit more this service than the last. And you don't know. It's like, knock it off. You're getting older. But when COVID came, we would record on a Tuesday night in an empty room. It would be the worship team and not as many that are on this stage and then myself. And so I'd come home and Becky would say, babe, that's how women from Louisiana, babe, how did you do? Not good. I hated it. It was so dry, so boring. And then I kid you not, I'd watch it. I'd go, oh my God, that was good. <laughs> then I'd come home the next day, babe, how did you do? Oh, babe, I crushed it. That was the best sermon I've ever preached. I'd watch it. That is the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life. Now, what was my challenge? 
I was playing to the crowd. And I felt like the Lord saying, if I could use a donkey to get a prophet's attention, it's not like your words are all that, then summon a can of Pringles. It's me. And it's always been about me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I believe we will see moves of the Holy Spirit where incredible, really, John 3, King James, no man can do these miracles except God be with him. I have to end. The Boise Valley, Portland, and Seattle are known in the past for miracle movements. I see miracles beginning to happen, creative acts of Almighty God in people's lives. And it's going to drop, they'll drop to their knees and they'll become worshipers of the living God. Cancer's healed, diabetes healed, lupus healed. Anyone who has COVID residual healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Now let's just do this as we end. Worship is highly personal. You can't worship what you don't know. And so I'm going to count to three. Maybe you have believed in Jesus, but you've never really become a worshiper of Jesus and accepted this invitation to be united with him forever. When I get to three, you're going to raise your hand. So one on three, we're going to say, no, I am committing everything. It's not just attending church. It's where you are changed forever. Two, on three, you'll raise your hand. I'm committing all of my life to him. She left her water pots. It'd be like if your laptop is your job, you leave your laptop because you trust Jesus more than your job. Don't leave your job and tell him I told you to do that. I didn't say that. On three, right now, raise your hand. You want to commit your life to Christ. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Come on, stomp, shout, cheer, go crazy in Jesus' name. Everybody say this, say, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Change whatever you want to change. Remove what you want to remove. Put in what you want to put in. I am yours. You are mine forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a shout and a hand clap. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.